Welcome to the Bike Pack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys. Through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. I want to thank Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Restrap, Race Day Fuel, and Brockman Cyclery for supporting Bike Pack Adventures and helping to keep me on the bike. Check out the show notes for more information about these amazing companies. Thanks and keep on pedaling. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Bike Pack Adventures podcast. Uh, not going to do too big of a uh, intro to the episodes uh, for the next couple episodes because I'm recording this very last minute before I head out of the country to go see my son. So, um, yeah, this uh, this. I've been busy actually if you're this is probably being edited and uh produced while sitting in the airport in montreal um so i'm just getting this intro recorded now and i'll be working on that tomorrow morning but yeah super busy came back from turkey and visiting my wife's family two weeks ago exactly and actually tomorrow will be two weeks exactly so i'm back for like 13 days and then i'm off to japan to see uh my son that i haven't seen in five years which is incredibly long so super excited about that i am taking my folding bike so uh, i'll probably post a video at some point of me i didn't video me attempting to pack it for the first time ever in a suitcase i knew that that would be a long arduous horrible video to watch uh but i think when i leave japan i'll try to to take a video of the packing because i can't believe that thing fit in this old uh, Samsonite suitcase I bought online or I bought you know from marketplace for like 20 bucks I just can't believe it fit um, never never expected it to fit so I had to take some things really apart like the, the seat off the seat post and things like that but all in all super impressed that uh, that it worked uh, yeah what else what else is new yeah, so uh, even the intro to these uh, these podcasts will be really simple. So here it goes. Uh, in this episode of the Bike Pack Adventures podcast, I am speaking with uh, Jim and Mary Boat. Now, these uh, this couple, I I had the pleasure of randomly meeting them while cycling in the Gatineau Park in the autumn of 2022, and uh, you know they were straight up old school maps out. And I feel like it was, but maybe it was phones. <laughs> And they were, I was like, so do you guys need help and directions? And we chatted and I said, oh, if you're going to go up to Champlain, take a little detour and go up to Kingsmere and check that out as well. If you're from out of town, you know, all these, and I gave them a little, few little tips and pointers and they messaged me later and said they had a wonderful ride. Now they're riding electric, uh, electric bikes, but more importantly, and more impressively is that they are not young people. They are in their, I do believe Mary's turning this year and Jim is in his 80s and I'm not sure exactly how old but uh, we had a wonderful conversation and talked about cycling around Europe and traveling and we didn't really get into the finite like the the fine details of how bike travel has changed over the decades 
But it was really uh, pretty cool to hear how involved they are in the cycling community and how they've been doing it for so long and they still haven't stopped, you know. So they're they're as involved, it seems, today as they might have been 20 years ago. So it's pretty, pretty impressive and really cool. So I will leave you with that and uh, enjoy the show. Good morning, Chris. Hey, good morning, Jim. How are you? We're doing good. I don't know why I can't open it up. <laughs> oh well, that happens. You know, it's not a big deal. It's not. I just have to imagine what your facial expressions are throughout the the conversation. <laughs> Smiling. My wife Mary is with me, Chris. Hi, Chris. Hi, Mary. How are you? Good, thanks. All right. So, um, yeah, for for listeners out there, I I first met Jim and Mary. Um, sorry, he's closing the door. About a year ago. Um, yeah, I guess about a year ago. I was riding up in the Gatineau Park with uh, my daughter in the chariot and. I saw this couple looking at a map, uh, which is not often on the Gatineau Park because there's not that many options. But if you're not from here, it could happen. And uh, so I stopped and we started chatting. And then I was like, I need to have these people on the podcast at some point because they have so much experience and stuff to share. So uh, thanks for being here. You're welcome. Well, thanks. It was a choice for us meeting you as you were able to give us some instructions on navigating the Gatineau Park, which we hadn't been to before. In all those years. <laughs> In all those years and traveling all the different parts of the world cycling, we had never cycled in the Gatineau Park. We'd cycled along the Ottawa River and done a lot of Quebec cycling. Mm-hmm. That's the Gatineau. So let's... Probably, uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Mary. Probably the hills didn't help us, encourage us to go to those hills to climb through the gap yeah that's probably a good point um but you guys have solved those problems with technology so which we'll jump to eventually um but why don't you tell us where you guys are from um i'm not 100 percent sure which town and uh a little bit about yourselves okay i'll jump in first here and mary can uh add something um we live just east of oshawa ontario in the community of curtis Oh, okay. and, and we've been here for quite a few years. Uh, I'm going to say 40 to 50 years now. I grew up in a small town of Fort Holt, which is really quite hilly, mm-hmm. and started my biking career there. And uh, have probably been riding a two-wheel bike for, I got it's scary, but I got to say over, over 75 years. That's wild. <laughs> I'm in my second year and recently joined the Royal Academy of Octogenarian Cyclists. And for those that don't know, what is an octogenarian cyclist? That's somebody that's over the age of 80. Well, congratulations. You are uh, you, you're doing uh, so it. So with my love of cycling, Mary and I met and got married uh, 35 years ago in the 80s. Actually, we were married on our bicycles. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it was it, it was a fun event, and we had about six hundred people at the wedding. We were in the middle of a large bicycle tour in Ontario called Cyclone, and that stood for Cycle Ontario Experience. Oh. so this is back. This is predating the internet or Facebook or anything like that. So yeah, yeah. All the pictures we have are are just uh, those types of. Uh, pictures from the olden days. We started our biking touring and uh, 
I had always had a dream to bike across Canada, and uh, in 1995, I was able to achieve that. Um, and I basically did it in three stages, from Vancouver to Curtis, where we live, mm-hmm. and from Curtis to Nova Scotia to uh, Sydney, Nova Scotia, and Cape Breton Island. And then the third leg of the trip was across Newfoundland. Okay. Now, was this done on like three separate occasions kind of thing? Yes, it was. Yes, over three years. And I was still working at the time. I wasn't completely retired. Right. Um, So that was a great adventure. I really enjoyed that. And uh, Mary came on parts of it with me, but uh, not the complete uh, thing. It's hard to get somebody to commit to that length of time to, to go with you. That's true. But it's, uh, if you're good with yourself, um, you know, it, it, there's lots of days you don't see anybody. Uh, but for the most part, I really enjoyed it. And uh, then Mary and I decided to do some cycling in Europe. So we packed up our bikes and headed over to uh, England and Wales and uh, then into uh, the Netherlands and Belgium and bits of Germany, the cycle. And then we got a small bicycle club going here in the area we live in. We'd already had it started, and it was mainly a seniors biking club of people over 55. Okay. Encouraging to get out on their bikes. And they wanted to come to Europe with us. So I thought, well, it's going to be tough to try and find hotels for everybody. So we tapped into a guy in the Netherlands that owned a boat that had uh, 12 cabins on it could handle 24 people. Each cabin had two bunks. Okay. So for about 10 years, uh, back in the early 2000s, right up to about 2012 or 13, and we just, by that time, most of the people in our club had, had been over and done the tour over there, and we would go over and stay on this boat all summer. That is and so cool. So kind of like uh, we've been cycling, you know, all over Ontario, into the U.S., uh, into different parts of Canada. <laughs> and really, it's really been a, a plus for our lifestyle. Uh, we've met many, many people. We've gotten involved with different um, committees and groups. We, we've been uh, original longtime volunteers on the Great Lakes Waterfront Trail. We're still volunteers with them. We're active in our, we created a active transportation and safe roads committee here in Durham region and also in our municipality of Clarington. Okay. Quite active with that. And currently, we're in the middle of starting a fundraiser uh, bicycle um, ride for a hospice that's going to be built in Clarington. Okay. So we're staying active, and we we really, really attest to the bicycle as uh, keeping us active in our, let's say, our later ages in life yeah, now. Yeah. In our... 80th year now, so she's going to become an engineering member next year. Nice. All right, and Mary, and uh, how about you tell us a bit of stuff too? I'm, I'm taking mental notes here on what I want to talk more about after. But uh. <laughs> Well, <clears throat> when Jim decided he wanted to go back and do a trip in Europe again, this would have been in about 92, I said, you know, I think I might like to do that. Uh-huh. So he said, okay, fine. Um, he bought me a bike, and we started biking in the evenings. We were still, of course, 
still working at that time. Yeah. And uh, we started biking in the evening at least two or three times a week. And then he said, okay, I think we should do a trial run. We'll go to Kingston. And uh, so we did that. And it was a struggle for me the first few days yep. because, of course, riding your bike um, a couple times a week or three times a week is not the same as riding your bike every day, as you well know. Of course. And, and so um, I was pretty glad to get off my bike at the end of the day. But anyway, we made it and we went to Europe that same fall. And we did a tour in the Netherlands. Jim chose the Netherlands because it was flat. Yeah, it's a good call. And uh, I was fine until it started to rain one day. And at that time, I did not have really good uh, riding gear in the way of, you know, rain coat and so on. And so this one day, it was raining quite hard. I stood by a shop while he went in to check on some maps and every step I took on one foot and then the other to squish the water out of my shoes. So <laughs> it, it was a bit of a challenge for me. But anyway, there again, I made it and we just continued on from there. And we've done, like Jim says, some trips with our friends who have thoroughly enjoyed it as well. We, um, we don't travel very often without our bikes. Okay. And whenever we do go on, like we have done some river cruises and that sort of thing, but Jim checks out to make sure they've got bikes on board. Oh, okay. Yeah, nice. So, yeah, so we really enjoy the biking and it's a big part of our life. Yeah, I uh, we just did a trip to Turkey and I didn't bring a bike and it felt so uh, naked for... A little while there. I was like out of my zone, um, but it was to reunite with my wife's family. So it was kind of a given that we weren't going to bring bikes, but, um, yeah. but it was interesting. Yeah. Cause my mind was like, I need to bring a bike. What if I, if I don't bring a bike, what am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's uh, sort of our mindset too. It's like I have a golfer leaving the clubs at Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anyways. Um, so yeah, you, you mentioned, um, I think 92 going to Europe. And I, I guess that means Jim was, uh, it was those few years before that where he was cycling across Canada. What, uh, what provoked you, Jim, to, to decide to ride across Canada? I mean, it wasn't bike touring, not to say nobody did it, but it was very, very, very niche back then. Now it's much more common, especially with bikepacking. Um, so where did the, the idea come from and how did you prepare for that? I, I had a, a real, uh, urge to bike across Canada most of my life. I, even as a small kid, I can think of like, where, where can I go to bike? Okay. And one day I was on the news, this is going to be back in the 80s, and uh, I saw a group of cyclists, and they were all seniors, and it was on the news, newscast, and they had arrived at Ottawa, and they'd come from Vancouver, and they were being interviewed. And they said they were, they were the Cross Canada Cycle Tour Society. And they had ridden from Vancouver all the way to uh, to Ottawa, and uh, they had a support van with them. And I thought, wow, look at that. They're seniors. And they made it all that far. And at that time, we weren't quite seniors. <laughs> a few years later, Mary and I had uh, 
rode our bike from here, where we live in, mm-hmm. in uh, area down to Ottawa. And on the way back, we stopped in Brockville. At a, we used to like tent camp as we were cycling. And sure enough, bumped into the, this group again. And so we wound up joining them and doing a big tour of Quebec. Oh, wow. Okay. And they had, uh, and I think they may be still active, but they're in the uh, British Columbia area more than they are here in Ontario. But at that time, they had a chapter out of Ottawa, I think. And anyways, they would take 28 people and they would go for like 28 days. And somebody would design the trip and the tour and they would figure out what it's going to cost. And every, every, uh, once every seven days, four people would take on the task of doing all the cooking and preparing of the food. Okay. Yeah. So you would ride your bike. And then when you got to your destination that day, the four of you would get together and set your tents up. And then we'd help the whole group would set up a big Kwanzaa tent. And then this four would do the cooking. We'd have already decided what we're going to have for dinner and supper. And we'd do the, the dinner, and then we'd prepare the breakfast and the lunch for the next day. And then we were done for the next seven days. So either everybody enjoys their food together or is miserable together, depending on the quality yeah. of the cook. Yeah, and it was a great, <laughs> a great fellowship uh, developed. In That's right. Um, I, I was just thinking there before I, we were talking about uh, – looking at maps when you mentioned that and, yeah. and I can pouring over maps for hours and hours and hours long before we had the, the internet or whatever and writing to uh, sending a, a letter an actual letter with a stamp on it to a youth hostel in in the UK to make sure I had a place to stay when I arrived there with my bicycle and to see the way it is today you know and, and that yeah. kind of Today, it's all so easy to do on your handheld phone, but it takes away a little bit of that excitement for me and that uh, planning and spending hours, where are you going to go this way, where are you going to go that way? And yeah. I was in wanted to see some castles, and I was looking at a youth hostel that was in Conway, Wales, that had a big castle, and trying to figure out how do I get around to the next castle, and there was somebody right. had, there was a path called the Singent Pass that went over the mountains in Wales, and I poured over maps and uh, to try and find where that was and how I could get there. Where today you can just click here, click here on your map, and yeah, see if there's any cycling roads. Yeah, the uh, the definitely the like exploratory feature in some ways is gone nowadays because of technology, but in other ways, you know, because of the access to these online maps, you're able to find routes that you might have never known existed or might not even show up on older maps, right? Like they just might not even be on paper. So there's, yeah. there's the good and the bad. And, and that's opened <clears> the door to so many more people that were maybe not directionally friendly. Mm-hmm. Can go to ride with GPS, explore here, see a route, download it and follow oh, the route. Yeah. Uh, and, and enjoy the outdoors from the seat of a bicycle. Um, now the bike packing thing, I never really got into that too much and I never got into the gravel riding. I yeah. have a lot of friends with that, mainly because I was always looking for pavement to ride on and we're getting a little older now, but we do have a couple of friends that have done the, uh, ride the divide a couple of times. Oh yeah. Okay. And actually one of them, uh, a good friend of ours is finishing up doing it now. Uh, but the other two friends, 
did it one day. You know, they start that one day when it's kind of like a race. The Grand Depart, yeah, in uh, yeah. early June. Mm-hmm. And they did that, and we were able to follow them. Up. We had their numbers and see right. where they were on the map. And yeah, it was something I probably would have done if that was around when I was in my 40s or 50s. Right, yeah. It's, uh, it's definitely... Not to say it's not possible because it seems nothing is not possible, but I mean, the risks are increased when you're getting a, up into your 80s, I guess, if, you know, a fall or it, something happens off the track, like well, off the beaten path. Yeah, your bones can break easier, so you're very conscious of uh, not having a fall. And we have a lot of friends in our age. We have a couple of riders in our club that are 88. Uh, both of them are 88, husband and wife. And uh, they still ride with us regularly. They now have converted to e-bikes, but only a couple of years ago. Okay. And they're conscious of that, too. And, and the big fear as you get older is your balance. Mm-hmm. If you start to lose your balance, then it's best to get off a bike and just walk for exercise. Yeah, that's uh, probably, especially if you end up going slower, you're maneuvering around something on the road, yeah. whether it's a car or pylons or construction, and all of a sudden that wobble happens, right? So, <clears throat> Yeah. Now, you noticed when we met you last year that we both had electric bikes, e-bikes. and I we did. Made... You guys crushed me up the hill. <laughs> yeah, well, we made the switch about five years ago. Um I noticed some of the people in our club weren't coming out to rides that had a few hills or if it was windy. And I could, and I had followed the e-bike as it it started to become more and more popular for at least 10 years. Before you saw Uh Harley Ann, always there that technology. And I could see the benefits for older people. And we had friends in the Netherlands that were all using e-bikes. They just said it's so much easier to get around. And we encourage people in our club uh, to adopt a policy that will allow e-bikes in the club. And that was, let's say, uh, back in 2017. Okay. And at first there was five. We have like over 100 members in our club. At first there was five. Then there was 10. Then last year there was like 35. This year there's like about 80. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's really got adopted. Yes. And we did have a a group in our club that were kind of hardcore drop handlebar performance type bikers. And they were quite against this move in e-bikes. And this would be back in 2017. Right. That group still in our club and every one of them now has an e-bike. How, um, now I know the, um, the one thing that comes to my mind when I hear that is, I mean, that's fantastic because it takes away a limiter for sure. Um, but there's still a limiting factor of cost. E-bikes aren't cheap. And I'm, I'm assuming not, necessarily everybody in your cycling club is is capable of uh, coming up with that kind of money to buy a bike is there any ways that you guys help them or like pr- community projects you do or anything to uh to make well, it more accessible we this is a good topic because i really really enjoy the e-bike and i think it's a real plus for society uh especially in cities but having said that there's a lot of good e-bikes that are under $2,000 that work perfectly fine. And they're ones with a rear hub. They have a motor in the rear back wheel. Oh, right. the, yep. the more expensive ones have the wheel in the center where the uh, pedals go through. They're called mid-drive. The motor in there. And those right. ones 
are more expensive by at least a couple of thousand dollars. So let's say you can buy one for $1,700 or $1,800. Costco has some good quality ones, by the way. Yeah, Costco is um, always surprising because people like, you know, you don't necessarily want to buy something at Canadian Tire or Walmart, but Costco is a whole different game. You know, the stuff they make is. is good. And they do a lot of uh, research before they sell the product. They don't want you coming back with this. They give them the product back to them. But they have a good bite, and a couple of the companies are made in Quebec, and they're Canadian source. Uh-huh. And they have a good reputation. And I, I had a friend that wanted to buy one, but she didn't want to spend any, she wanted to spend around $2,000. So we we saw this one at Costco. She bought it. She loved it. Okay. Uh, the ones that Mary and I have are uh, more higher end. And when I say higher end, Mary has a Trek. And I have one called the Mustache. It's made in uh, France, but they both have a Bosch motor. And if I remember correctly, this is me trying to remember back a year ago, which is not that long ago, but I think you bought the one of them, or maybe both of them in Ottawa at Scooter Ready, right? Uh, we bought the, the, the Mustache at Scooter Ready, but Mary's truck came from our local bike store okay. uh, here uh, in our area. And... Uh, but they share the very same motor, the same controller, uh-huh. batteries. And there's been a lot of concern about batteries and uh, some of the lower-cost bikes, the batteries catching on fire or the charging catching on fire. That's right. And the ones we have, have uh, they're all UL-certified batteries, which is a plus. Okay. What so, does UL mean? Uh, yeah. Underwriters Laboratory Certified. Oh, okay. The same certification for electrical devices. Okay, so yeah, you're not getting some uh, sketchy thing from a Chinese website or something. You're right, right. And I think New York City passed a law that all the bike stores in New York City cannot sell electric bikes unless they're certified with, to the UL certification. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I heard about that in the U.S. and New York particularly because they have condos yeah. and people's bikes are just catching fire. Yes, and they've had that problem there. And that problem is just in other places in the States and probably here in Canada. In the in Europe, they don't seem to have that problem. They don't seem to have that many low-end bikes. Uh, they're all, it just seems they've been into it longer and they have stricter certifications. Yeah, and, and, and I think when you like, you look at the Dutch bikes even, and they're not cheap, you know, like a good Dutch bike and everybody rides a bike in Holland it seems uh, at least one or two or three and uh, their bikes aren't cheap but they're so high quality and they last forever you know they do and they're now selling all sorts of those bikes in uh, North America I think Scooter Ready in Ottawa, in Ottawa is a big uh, uh, retailer for Gazelle oh okay I didn't know that and Gazelle is the top bike in the Netherlands, and it has a royal designation. Mm-hmm. I think they're all they're all built in the Netherlands, uh, a couple of factories there. But they use the Bosch system and quite a few of theirs. But they, you're right, they're they're a nation that travels by bike, and I see that more in North America. More cities are becoming bike friendly uh, because it's easier to get a, get around. You know, there's less pollution. Yeah, uh, you can. More towns are becoming bike-friendly in the core and kind of pushing the car out to the side of the lines. And their infrastructure there is fantastic for cycles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's built first. It seems to be primarily built around the cyclist, and then that looks like they say, okay, now how can we involve cars, you know? 
Yeah, where, where so us is the other way around. Yeah. In many cases, the car is the guest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they're, uh, so it's nice to go over there and cycle. And I don't think we'll ever have that exact model here in North America. Maybe our distances are too big. And we were kind of built around the car. Yeah. So we have suburbs that they don't have. They don't have the big box stores. Like, if you took a big box store area in your area of Ottawa, it's pretty hard to get there by bicycle. Yeah, pretty we much. With the, yeah, just I'd say just about every one of these, like what I, I like to call them new malls because they're not like a shopping mall, but it's these like yeah, big box store areas, you know. Yeah, they they uh, they're like a center. They'll have several big box yeah. stores. And even, and even going from one one store to the other one, you get back in your car to move because sometimes they're like far away. And if you have a kid or whatever, it's just a pain. You yeah. know. And you don't find that in Europe. You know, it's totally different. So we're kind of stuck with the car. But big cities like downtown Toronto, downtown Ottawa, Montreal has got a – Montreal is a good model for, to, for the cyclists. Mm-hmm. Also, Vancouver is very, very bike-friendly. Yeah, I was so going to ask you when the – I was going to ask you when the last time you were in Montreal was because it's really, really changed. Like, they are doing – such a good job to improve and to improve and make a better cycling infrastructure. Whereas like Toronto's kind of feels like the opposite, you know, it, it does. Uh, Toronto does have a lot of biking, uh, infrastructure, but not, not like Montreal at all. Yeah. Montreal before. Yeah. And, and maybe yeah. the mindset's not there yet. Cause like this general population is still kind of averse to it, averse to it. Yes, it is. And, uh, they are pushing, they're trying to make one of their, their major park, Hyde Park in Toronto, they're trying to make it uh, car-free so that you can just walk or bike through it. That's becoming a little bit of a political battle. Um, they did elect a new mayor, uh, Olivia, mm-hmm. and she and her husband, who passed away, Jack Layton, they were both real cyclists. And so they pushed that agenda. And she now is the mayor of Toronto, and she does not own a car. She bikes everywhere. Oh, I didn't know so, that. Yeah, so we don't have, like, we don't get the vote in the Toronto election, but we're very close to the GTA, and we think that's a good thing from the cyclist point of view because she will probably promote more cycling lanes and more cycling uh, multi-use paths. Yeah, let's hope that she can, uh, while she has this uh, this helm of authority, that she can get things passed and, and uh, change that mindset a bit. That would be great. Yeah, because all it takes is political will. You know, we have the real estate here in Canada to create all sorts of good biking infrastructure, but it takes that political will from your municipality. We've been relatively successful here in our area because we've been working with our municipal... Uh, elected officials and our uh, engineering staff in our municipalities to, to create a better a, a better way to get around your community by means other than a car. And we've been doing that now for like, oh, let's say 25 years. And we've got to know the different officials, the mayors, all these uh, folks, the head of engineering, and we've had a good approach with them. And so now they reach out when they're putting in a new development. They'll say, hey, Jim, or can you have your committee look at this? Oh, that's really cool. You know, like complete streets and that type of thing. Yeah. 
up here in uh, in Chelsea, we actually have a um, pretty vocal. Um, I don't even know what to call it. I mean, it started as a Facebook group called Safe Chelsea, and now they actually um, they have a little panel of people that sit on committee member uh, committee meetings for the city or for the town of Chelsea, and they have a chance to give input on where they see like you know new developments or new things going on and how we can improve the infrastructure. So it's it's really cool that like you know um, yeah. municipalities yeah. are taking these things into account to some degree. Yeah. Yeah, it's important. And as more municipalities have more people, more younger people come onto the scene, they see the benefit of traveling around by means other than a car, by walking or by bicycle. It's healthier for you. It's greener for the community. You know, it's, it's using less energy. It's just a, a win-win-win. It's just a matter of making it safer for people. Like, we go to the store all the time by bicycle and get our groceries. Um you're still there are you Chris? Yeah, yeah i'm sorry i'm listening yeah i heard you saying going to the store and then you stopped talking yeah, <laughs> and, yeah uh, like quiet streets to do that you had to put some curb cuts here and make a little path there yeah and now people to use that tons of people go to the store by bicycle but you have to encourage your municipality unless you have people in the municipality that is the elected officials that are bicycle people. If not, you have to work with them. And so yeah. we've had a good relationship with them. Uh, we always wanted them to, when they see it coming, not to run away. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I think... oh, go ahead. Yeah, it's worked for us in our community. We've, uh, we feel comfortable that we see it progressing. Okay. And, um, so I wanted to ask you actually a little bit about bike touring. I know you guys still travel and you, like you said, you most, almost all your travels involve bikes somehow, somewhere. Yeah. Um, how does that work with the e-bikes now? Because I know like you can't just fly to Europe and take your e-bike because of batteries and stuff. Um, what's the, what's the solution? How, what do you do? How do you manage things? So when you want to go to Europe today, uh, even for the last, I gotta say, uh, 10 or 15 years, the, Air carriers don't want to lug your bike anymore. They're going to charge you charge a premium where you used to be able to take your bike for $25. Now they want a couple hundred dollars for it. Mm-hmm. Most people rent bikes. There's all sorts of people in Europe, companies that will rent you bikes, and it's your choice if you want to have a performance bike, a commuter bike, or an e-bike. And they all have them. They see the, the benefit of uh, offering they're vacationing people yeah. e-bike. So people mainly do that now. Okay. For traveling. But as we travel, you can take your charger with you here and you can charge your battery up. You can ride you can ride in a day. Both our bikes, when they're fully charged, will give us let's say around a hundred and twenty to hundred and eighty kilometer range. Okay, depending on how much assist you use and stuff, right? Yeah, so if you're going up hills or if you're just sitting, and our bikes don't have a throttle on them. If we don't pedal, the bike doesn't work. Okay. So we're real, we really push that idea of pedal assist. So in other words, you've got to get some exercise when you're pedaling the bike, and it's up to you how much assistance you give yourself. So if you had it on full, the highest level of assist, you might only get 80 kilometers, 70 or 80. And if you had it on the easiest level of to the motor, so it's called eco assist, you could probably do 180 kilometers. Right. We don't sit in a bike that long anymore. 
but it would be no problem to bike across the country with an e-bike and just have your little charger, which is just a little two or four amp charger that will completely charge your battery up in a matter of, uh, let's say four to six hours. And you just make your stops at Tim Hortons or uh, hotels or wherever you need, huh? Yes, and we do see people traveling now with e-bikes, and they do exactly that. When they get off their bike, they go into Tim's uh, for a break or Starbucks. They take their little battery, they take their battery with them, and their charger. They plug it in, charge it while they're there. Right. And it's just like an e-car. And when we first started having some of our members in our cycling club buy e-bikes, they were they had range anxiety. And that's what people have getting an electric car now, range anxiety. Yeah, but yeah. We've Everybody in our club run out of uh, range. The batteries are all pretty good, and they, they all want to pedal and get some exercise. So that none of them, now they get two or three trips or, or outings on the bike club before they have to charge their battery. Yeah, and um, actually I had one thought that came to my mind. Now you said like 80, 80 members, or like so prof- around 80%, I guess, of your cycling yeah. club's members are using e-bikes. Do the other... 20% do they get left behind at all because you know all of a sudden now you guys can all go a little bit faster for a little bit longer and then uh, the ones that are not electrically assisted how how do they you know do you guys keep that in mind and slow things down or it's not a case of slowing them down so we kind of made a, a decision in our club that when we said you could have an e-bike it's not to go faster it's to go easier okay so, so now the people that don't have an e-bike in our club. Most of them are younger. When I say younger, they'd be that 55 to 65 age. Okay. They're still strong enough to power up the hills, but they're starting to see the benefits of the e-bike. But, but yes, we still have 20%, let's say, that have a traditional bike. And so they fit in with the group, and we don't pass them on the hill. And uh, we just do it the same as we normally do. We just, they're not actually, the benefits of a club is when we didn't have e-bikes, let's say there was 80% that were good riders and 20% that struggled on a hill. Sure. And we only go out in groups of 10. So if we have a a ride today and uh, 60 people show up, we will have six groups go out and each group will have a lot, a leader and a tail gunner. And they'll that group fairly close together and those groups won't collide with another group on the road. We'll stay about 500 meters or half a kilometer apart. And that way it's safer for cars to get around you. Gotcha. Yeah. Now, uh, now we don't have that worry when we're going up a hill of having the group all get split out or if it's windy. The people that used to be the slower riders were the first ones to jump on the bandwagon and say, hey, I'm getting an e-bike. They're the people that wanted to bike. They're maybe with their husband or their wife. They're a couple. And one was always a stronger cycler. Now they can cycle together. So now as a club, when we go over with our little group of 10, we don't have to wait at the top of the hill for somebody that's struggling going up the hill. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I, that's my plan with my wife is I'd love to get her an e-bike, uh, the assisted one, kind of like you guys use, not a, a, yeah. a full throttle yeah. one. Uh, just so that we could ride together a little bit longer and, you know, I can get the, the workout I want and she can, you know, we could do it together, you know. That happens now. We see more and more of that in clubs. And I belong to two or three groups. There's a one group called uh, E-Bike for Ontario Over 60. 
so everybody's in the group is over 60, I guess. And that's a reoccurring term, a theme, where somebody said, well, now my partner can keep up with me, or now I can keep up with my partner. Yeah. And as you know, being a, a cyclist like yourself, and, and you indicated with your wife, you're maybe a much more powerful cyclist, whoever. Now, that other person on the e-bike can stay with you going up that big hill. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's certainly my case. I would not be riding the hills or the days when it's windy if I was still riding a regular bike. Now I have no problem. Oh, that's a good point, yeah. And, um, Mary, I think, um, I know you guys are involved, like you said, with the community, and you guys helped develop a... Uh, a local trail, and I think I saw you guys your your names on a bench. Uh, is that right? You did. Tell me, tell me more about. It. Maybe Mary can tell me because uh, Jim, you talk a lot. <laughs> oh, maybe you are referring to a hill that is in our area, which Jim uh, did a lot of uh, urging and nudging and complaining about. And it was virtually impossible to ride the bike, no matter how great a cyclist you were, to get up this hill because it was very, very steep. Okay. And it's on the waterfront trail, and we, as Jim said, have been great proponents for the um, for the waterfront trail. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh-huh. and so, at one point. Um, Jim finally persuaded the municipality to take a slightly different route in that area and go across the hill instead of straight up. It involved taking down some trees and, you know, people were, oh, no, we can't do that and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, we finally got it done. And one of the people in our cycling group took it upon herself to urge council to name that hill. Ah. So now there is a sign on the hill that has um, connected Jim with this That's what long, it ongoing struggle to get this. And now it's paved and it's on a curve and it goes up the hill and it's quite doable. Yeah. Okay. That's what it was. I know. I remember seeing something and it was a little while ago and I couldn't remember exactly the details. I'm like, thought it was a bench maybe, but yeah, that makes sense. It was a hill. Yeah. There, there is a bench there. <laughs> but his name is on it. Okay. <laughs> it should say yeah. Jim and Mary or Mary and Jim. Actually, uh, it's Jim. <laughs> yeah. but, but it was a challenge to get up there and it was part of the waterfront trail and uh, people were avoiding that section of our municipality because of that hill. Like the word spread, you can't get up there. So people would have to take a big detour around it, and it's a pretty, pretty part on either side. It's just a matter of taking the hill on a different angle so the grade wasn't as steep and right. paving it. And uh, after that, it, done, it was quite successful. Uh, Actually, out of the waterfront trail from, I'm going to say from at least Kingston through to Niagara Falls on the waterfront trail. It's all been done by the Google map camera. Oh yeah. I didn't know that. That's cool. Huh. Yeah. We got that camera. I'm going to say eight or nine years ago, we got an opportunity to get that camera for, I'm going to say a month. 
and we reached out to the bike clubs in Kingston and Coburg and our area here and on into Toronto, and we all volunteered to carry the camera and map that surface and then download the stuff and send it to Google. And now they put it on Google Maps, so it's just like um, if you if you go to Street View. Right. Oh, that's so neat. Post- yeah. Wherever the waterfront trail went off the road, it's now been walked by the camera. That, that camera is very heavy. Well, I've seen, uh, is it the exact same kind that they would have on the car, basically? Very similar, but it's into a backpack arrangement. But uh, yeah, the big part that sticks up has 20 cameras all around it, so it's uh, doing a, that kind of all-around view. Mapping, and it's yeah. quite they do have one now that they use quite a bit in the U.S., and it's connected to a uh, a bicycle trailer. It's just in a bicycle trailer. Ah, oh, okay, that makes well, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and, and like Google Street View has done a wonderful job. Like they've taken that camera down into the uh, Grand Canyon. They've gone up the Eiffel Tower with it. They they put it on the front of one of the trains that go over the Alp passes and stuff like that. So the Street View version of Google is very nice. So we were pretty, pretty proud of the fact that we got the whole waterfront trail done. Yeah, it's really, really cool. Yeah, so you could you could go to the waterfront trail if they were going through Clarington, and you could drag that little man over and uh, and, and see you could see Jimbo Hill <laughs> or whatever. Oh, it wouldn't be uh, on. Yeah. At that time, yeah. it wasn't. Yeah. No, it's on. It's on there. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, actually, it's uh, it's on my list of family rides. Would be to do the uh, the waterfront trail. Um, with, it's a wonderful. Know, trip. Yeah, with my wife and baby, and maybe dog as well. It's very nice coming through uh, Upper Canada Village. That area is spectacular. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not like a rail trail. The uh, the the waterfront trail is not like a rail trail. Yeah, I've heard. I've heard the uh, the Upper Canada Village, Merrickville, Cornwall. That whole area is also very, very nice, right? It is. And so the Waterfront Trail now is like fully signed from the Quebec border right through to Sault Ste. Marie. And as we speak, they're they're working it up from Sault Ste. Marie to Thunder Bay. That's going to be hard. I mean, you're gonna, is is there another way other than being on the side of the highway? Yes, there is, and they've already got 150 kilometers of it done. I work with, uh, I'm involved with a committee that's routing it from Sault Ste. Marie up to Thunder Bay, and they come up with side roads, and we look at them and say, yeah, that's a good one, that's not a good one. And there are stretches of the highway where they have to pave the shoulder, but it's in conjunction with the Trans-Canada Trail, which is a federal initiative. Yeah. And... Well, Great Lakes Waterfront Trail is an Ontario initiative, and so they've partnered up to do that stretch of the Trans-Canada Trail from Sault Ste. Marie to the Michigan or to the Minnesota border, which would be about sixty kilometers west of Thunder Bay. Yeah. Before continuing on with the show, I'd like to thank Panorama Cycles for sponsoring this podcast. Panorama Cycles is a bicycle manufacturer in Quebec, Canada, dedicated to backcountry cyclists that prefer gravel, snow, and off-road trails. They believe cycling is a catalyst for adventures of all sizes, and that there's no need to travel across the world or to be a seasoned athlete to live epic outdoor adventures. Over the past year, I've been riding the Chick Shocks Fat Bike, the Catadan Gravel Bike, and the Taiga Mountain Bike. From everyday rides, bikepacking trips, and a multitude of races and events, these bikes have put a huge smile on my face every step of the way. 
while also getting me on the podium on the Wendigo Ultra Fat Bike Race and helped me set an FKT on the Canadian Shield 400. In partnering up with the Bike Pack Adventures podcast, Panorama Cycles also wants to give back to the cycling community, particularly you, the listeners of the podcast. By using the promo code BPA10 when purchasing a new bike from PanoramaCycles.com, you'll save 10%. For more information on their environmental commitments or to check out their bikes, head to PanoramaCycles.com. Now back to the show. So yep. that will happen in the next five to seven years. I will be completely signed so that you can do it. So right now you could get on the waterfront trail, let's say it's Sault Ste. Marie, and it's all signed over towards Sudbury. Actually, it's signed right into Sudbury. Yeah, and I've then heard you that. Break, and you can break down along Georgian Bay coastline, down to Perry Sound and around to Midland and all around that way. Or you can take the... Uh, you can take the short route that takes you on to Manitoulin Island. That's right, yeah, and take you to Tobermory, right? Yes, yes, and that's the more popular route, but it is signed into Sudbury. And it, once again, in those areas, they partnered up with the Trans-Canada Trail. Okay. Yeah, yeah it's, always well, inter- it's always interesting because, like, I mean, that's also, uh, I have a friend who, uh, who, who created a new bikepacking route across Canada and basically took a lot of big chunks of other bikepacking routes and then filled in the gaps and worked hard at that. But you know, that, that big, and he did that because the trans Canada trail is not really a biking trail per like, you know, there's big sections of it. You couldn't really ride and it's not always the, a nice, most optimal thing. It's just, sometimes it's just along the highway. Right. And, uh, there are, there are sections of it that you would have to travel by canoe. Yeah. Yeah. So he, uh, so he made a, a slightly different route, well, a different route completely, I guess. Um, but same thing came across. The big problem is the, the Northwest Ontario. And so he just, he opted to, to route through uh, the U S at that point uh, with yeah. some more gravel roads and trails and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's coming. It's a, it's a work in progress. Yeah. We got a big uh, country. It takes time, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it comes right into Ottawa, the trans trail as part of the, the capital trails commission. Yep. In Ottawa. I think it comes right along the river there. Uh, it does, yeah. I think it crosses over and goes, now it go, kind of goes up towards, you know, where Mount Laurier is. Yeah. Okay, so it goes up, crosses over uh, from Ottawa into Gatineau. Yeah, it goes, goes um, it goes up the various rail trails, and then it takes the the Petit Trains Nord, I think, as well, from Mont Laurier yeah, to Montreal. Yeah, train north down and into uh, Quebec, and mm-hmm. uh, then it goes to the south shore of Quebec down in the eastern townships. And eventually it makes its way right down and uh, right across. Newfoundland's a beautiful place to bicycle across. They have, a, there's only basically one major highway in Newfoundland. And I just refer to it as the highway. And it has a wide <laughs> shoulder. And, uh, you know, if you bike across Canada, all the people you meet are fantastic, but the people that really stand out, in my mind, are the people from Newfoundland. Oh, yeah? Why, why is that? They just seem to be, they have a friendly attitude that's just wonderful when you stop it. If you're stopped on your bicycle for doing anything, looking at your map or whatever, somebody passes you in a car, they'll pull over and stop and ask you, are you okay? Where are you staying tonight? They'll give you suggestions. They'll invite you to their house for dinner. They're just, it's just a wonderful experience biking across Newfoundland. Uh-huh. When Jim left Newfoundland, I was in a van following uh, and just 
would stop somewhere, maybe to make a sandwich yeah. or whatever. And invariably, whenever I stopped, whether it was on the side of the road or in somebody's driveway, a car would go by and then it would stop and then it would back up. And somebody would say, are you okay? Are you okay? Do you need anything? That's amazing. All, always stopped and asked. I make, I make it a mission. I, I, I mean, I try my best um, whenever I'm driving somewhere, uh, you know, like on a road trip type thing, and I see a cycle tourist, I always make it a, a mission to try to stop and at least have a conversation uh, if I don't have anything to offer them. You know, if I have water or food, sandwiches, you know, I try to give stuff. But it's always neat to, to hear their story. And then also you never know if they, they do need a hand and they're just struggling, you know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, when we were uh, biking across Newfoundland, I was in the middle part of Newfoundland. I was coming down a half hill into a small village, and I saw a guy standing there in a big long coat, and he had a backpack, and it looked like he was hitchhiking in a different direction. And uh, whatever reason, I stopped and, and talked to him, and uh, he was an interesting guy, and he was uh, a firefighter from Germany that had taken a year off to travel around the world. Okay. He had a big stick with him, and it was a didgeridoo, and he'd been to Australia. And you know, a didgeridoo is like a big long. Yeah, yeah, it's that um, instrument. He played something, so he played it, and I recorded it at the time. And anyways, I we stayed in touch with him by mail, and now we have email. And once a year, this guy sends out a an email at the end of the year about what he's done this last year. He's like back as a firefighter now, but just a wonderful guy to get to know. Yeah, that's why. It's awesome. And we've been uh, in the Netherlands. Uh, the Netherlands really love Canadians, I guess, due to what happened in yeah, the war. Yeah. yeah. So we've had close friends there that have said, hey, we're going to France for the summer. Why don't you come and stay at our house? And we've been able to go over there and live in their house and, uh, you know, invite them back over here and things like that. So, and this is all because of the bicycle. Yeah. And while we're there, they give us their bikes and we can ride to different towns from their town. It's amazing, the people that you meet when you travel by bike. It is, it is. It's been wonderful for us. We're getting older in our life now, but we still bike and so much of stuff surrounding our I guess vacations, our lifestyle is centered around traveling by two wheels. That's so, so amazing. And um, yep. are are you guys still camping in tents and stuff, or is it more of a, a little bit of a glamping style? Uh, it's glamping now. The last time we were doing that, we did a, they wanted to do a bike trip, a bike trail from Ottawa to North Bay called the Voyager Road. Okay. So somebody tapped into the federal government, had some money, they wanted to promote this, and they reached out to the cycling community, and somehow they reached out and got a hold of Mary and I said, would you come with us? And they reached out to other people in the province, come with us while we do this route. And so we left, We all went up to Ottawa, met there, and then we started biking towards North Bay. And one of the places we went to would be, I don't know, someplace around Renfrew into this forest where we were on their bikes this night and all these big tents set up with candles and food and everything like that. And that was our glamorous camping. Yeah, yeah, that's so neat. We did start out with small tents, thermal rests, um, 
sleeping in the tent, and the tent had to be light enough that you could carry it on your bike. And you sure. had to have oil within. You had to have a little stove so you could cook. And more and more, as we've got older, we started switching more and more to B&Bs, and that style. And that's the way what we do now. Yeah. We don't tent so much. Uh, actually, we don't have a tent to give to our son. But we did have lightweight equipment, and we've got a lot of those big, uh, you know, week-long groups. There used to be in Ontario, but there's a couple in the U.S., one in in Ohio called GOVA, Great Ohio Bike Adventure. Okay. Week-long, you go out with uh, 3,000 other people, and you all set up your tents at different high schools at, at the end of the day. And we just had some friends come back. And they went on one called Rag Draw. And it's a, it's a ride ride your bike across Iowa. Okay. And this year they had, one day they had over 60,000 people on the road. Oh, wow. That's amazing. It's like a moving city across the Yeah, the yeah. State. It's like a whole entire small town of Ontario. <laughs> yeah, it is. And to see them all set up and camping at different spots and not up the next morning by 5 o'clock, They'd all be packed up and on the road they go. That's really to the next, cool. And it goes across Ohio. And every year it's getting bigger and bigger. We've never done that, but our friends do it. And one of them is a great photographer. And uh, he posts so many pictures, it's not funny. It's just a <laughs> wonderful adventure. They have the ones that we've been on. We've been on ones where we'll see, you know, you see a tandem bicycle. Yeah. Well, a lot of families have taken a tandem bicycle and stretched it out so it can carry five, four or five people. Ah. And so you'll have mom and dad on the front end and the back end and three kids in the middle. And, and they've got, got the pedals all, the chain all extended up so their feet can pedal on the pedal thing and there'd be different sizes. That's like, it's neat. amazing. Yeah. I like the, um, I, I really like the, the Hase bikes. Uh, it's a, I think they're a German brand. Hase yeah, maybe. And they make the uh, they make the one with the recumbent in the front, which can be adjusted to fit, you know, from kids to adults to even uh, yeah. uh, mobility. Yeah. If, like I, I knew a, a person that couldn't pedal because they had bad arthritis. They were quite young and just came out with this like really young arthritis. And so they set it up with a hand crank and him and a friend did a bike tour across the world with one guy pedaling, one guy hand cranking, you know. Wow. That's wonderful to do that, man. I don't know if you've seen lately uh, some communities will buy these bikes. I don't know where they're sold now, but they're like a bicycle in the front and uh, like a little bit of a wheelchair type thing where somebody can sit in the very front and you sit in the back pedal. Kind of like and, a like a cargo bike, kind of, but a little bit different, yeah. Like, but the the person in the front is more for seniors. And two oh, or three okay. seniors in Ontario have bought, and they have students, I guess, in the summertime take uh, different residents uh. for bicycles. So if you had like a really nice path network, like say in Ottawa, you got a great path network. Sure. That would be great to show up at a retirement home. Who wants to go for a bike ride? And you take them out for a four-hour bike ride. Yeah, that'd be really neat. Actually, that's that's really heartwarming. Just thinking about that. There's also we, something like that here in the region for cycling with blind people. So you act as their buddy and you ride a tandem. And uh, yeah. yeah, and on one of the trips we were on, there was a, a fellow who was blind. And he was on a tandem with a friend, and uh, he rode the whole the whole trip like it was a week long tour, wow. and it was amazing. Yeah, he was a massage therapist, so he was traveling with the group, 
and offered massages at the end of the day. So he was a handy guy to have around. That's pretty awesome, yeah. Um, and they do a lot of that in Europe. They promote that type of thing, uh, to get people out and onto bikes. And so, so they have a whole host of different types of bikes that you can buy commercially that if you have certain limitations, yeah. they, they build the bikes for that, whether they're two-wheel, three-wheelers or whatever, but they're all easy for you to get on. And now with the electric battery. It's really changed. So like our friends in the Netherlands said that they now have more, they sell more electric bikes than they do regular bikes in the Netherlands. I can imagine. I think that's going to, I mean, not necessarily for every aspect, but I mean, even in mountain biking, you see a ton of people buying, you know, uh, yeah. electric mountain bikes because now you can save money on a chairlift and just ride your bike up the mountain and then rip down the mountain exactly. and have fun, you know? get you more trips in a day and so, so that spurns that uh, technology mm-hmm. uh, the electric technology the electric assistance in bikes and, and you know yourself you look around and you hardly see anybody with a gas lawnmower anymore they're all battery operated they even got the battery cell <laughs> blowers Yeah, all the power tool industry has gone to batteries so yeah. that whole that whole sector of storing energy and using it, and uh, you can use it in a bike, in a car, in tools, and whatever. Yeah. It's really good for society, I think, because it's clean. It reduces the noise level. You go to the Netherlands, you go downtown in any city, city, you don't see any cars at all. Like, they don't let them come through the streets during the daytime. Yeah. You can talk to somebody on the other side of the street. You yeah. know, you can hear, there's no, there's no noise, like, you don't realize how much noise comes from vehicles. The quietest, uh, the quietest I ever experienced was during a uh, lockdown here in Quebec when it was a uh, actually there was a curfew, and uh, of course that meant I went out and rode for the whole night, um, and only thought about the curfew momentarily. I was like, well, whatever. If a police officer stops me, I'll just whatever apologize. Uh, but it was so quiet. There was not even a sound of a moped, a car, a truck in the distance. You know, I was even close to the highways. There was nothing. It was just dead. It was so silent. Um, never experienced that any other time in my life, I think, other than, well, I mean, you know, when I'm out biking, for, for, the, for instance. Uh, because of our biking involvement, um, one of our bike trails went by the uh, Ontario Power Generation nuclear power plant in, in Darlington. Okay. And Darling, yeah. in Clarence, about six or seven miles from our house. So I used to bike that waterfront trail quite often, and I often thought, boy, somebody coming from uh, another country is going to have trouble getting through this gate. The gate's not wide enough, but it was all part of the waterfront trail. So I would politely find out who's in charge of that at OPG and, you know, make, get a meeting with them and explain, you know, how we want to promote tourism and these gates need to be wider and blah, blah, blah. And you need to fix your trail up a little bit and all this kind of stuff. And eventually they invited me to get involved with the committee that they have through OPG and Ontario Power Generation. And since that time, I've been involved now for about 15 years with them and uh, seen the nuclear industry, how it's changing. And at one time I was against nuclear power, but now I've slowly converted over to realize that, that, although it does have some issues, 
it's still the cleanest form of electricity. Yeah. And, and it's not going away. And they've, uh, Ontario Power Generation just announced they're going to build four small modular reactors. That's right. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. And Mary and I got invited to that opening and got to meet the Polish prime minister was here at the time because their, uh, their nation is all coal fired mm-hmm. generators. They want to partner up with Canada and get that nuclear technology to make small modular reactors in their, um, parts of their country. And the small modular reactor is a new concept of generating nuclear uh, electricity, kind of like the, not completely, but kind of like the reactors they put on a big aircraft carrier. Yeah, 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 exactly. But now you can take those to remote parts of Canada that don't have electricity. A lot of the northern communities, Mm -hmm. you know, burn uh, oil generators that pollute the air. And we have a friend that's bicycling through Africa, and she does a bunch of video blogs, and she says that a couple of the countries she goes through, all they have is a couple of big old ships in the harbor that have big generators on them, and they use bunker oil, which is the worst polluting oil mm-hmm. going, and they only have electricity for, say, four hours a day, and it comes from those ships. They don't have... So this concept of the world is a, has one envelope of air around it. It's up to all of us to try and keep it clean. Yeah. So the small modular reactor, if it's successful, which it looks like it'll be, and we're, I think uh, Ontario and Canada is the first country in the world to adopt the small modular reactor oh, technology. I know that. I knew, I knew that they were adopting this. I didn't know that it was that new and that uh, Canada it's, was that, that active as a opening participant. Yeah. The Western world has it. And we're the first, and a year to date now, since I've been involved with it, they've had about 65 visits from countries around the world coming here to Darlington, where we live, mm-hmm. uh, to visit this Ontario Power Generation site to see what they're doing, how they're, they're they have four reactors on site now, but the can-do, the big can-do reactors. Yeah, the big ones, yeah. Yeah, and they have started a refurbishing program. And they're refurbishing each one, and they've come online under budget for the refurbishing. And they're lucky. Yeah, that, that's impressive because nothing comes under budget anymore. <laughs> oh, it doesn't. Oh, it doesn't. And this, we're talking a budget of sixteen billion dollars, like the, the largest infrastructure budget in Canada. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a big, big program and a big deal, and it's uh, amazing to see it the people coming from other parts of the world to see what we're doing here yeah. in Canada and supplying clean energy. And you know yourself with the push for electric cars, and it doesn't look like that's going to stop. So, you know, I'm predicting in 10 years, you're going to have a hard time to buy a, a new gasoline car. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I guess the one thing that people look at nuclear power, and I know this is not really related to bikes, unless they figure out a way to put a spent nuclear fuel into our batteries, um, <laughs> but is, yeah. is, uh, is the, uh, is, you know, in the event of an accident, like what happened in, uh, Fukushima, Japan and, or, you know, things like that, that I think that's what scares people. Right. Like, cause remember after the Japan tsunami, all of a sudden Europe was like, we need to get rid of nuclear power. It's the end of the world. You know? Yeah. That was just Germany. Oh, that was just Germany. Yeah. Huh? 
Yeah, actually, France is one of the world's leaders in nuclear energy. Ah. But you're right. Germany made that decision, but Germany's had a had a very very strong green component in their government for many years. Like we have a Green Party here in Ontario and in Canada, and we had like one or two or three representatives that would sit on council. They, they don't have a big uh, position yeah. within the government. But in Germany, it's totally different. They have a Green Party that almost challenges the existing uh, Christian Democrat Party. Okay. So they're a big player, and they really forced this. Uh, when Chernobyl, they had that issue with Chernobyl, uh, they were already against nuclear industry. When Chernobyl yeah. melted down, uranium one, um, that drifted into Europe and dr- drifted into Germany. And mm-hmm. that really pushed them to say, hey, let's get out of nuclear industry completely. Let's go with uh, solar and wind and clean coal and gas technology. So now they're kind of suffering in a way because they shut down their last nuclear reactor and they can't get the fuel out of Russia. They were getting a lot of their fuel out of Russia. Yeah, I heard talk that they were looking at now reopening some reactors just because yes, of are. all this. But, you know, in the last 30 or 40 years, the nuclear industry has done a good job of promoting itself as a clean source of energy. And, like, I'm not a specialist in it. I've been involved with, with them just from a citizen's point of view. But they're transparent. They do everything possible to keep their system as clean as anything. And there's very few deaths attributed to the nuclear industry. Okay. The legacy is, what do you do with that spent uranium? Mm-hmm. You know, and right now it's stored on each nuclear site here in Canada. Like, each plant has its own storage area. And they've been looking for the last, let's say, 15 years of trying to come up with a place where there's solid granite rock where they can drill a hole down on the ground for a kilometer deep and make a giant cavern and store it there. And they don't want to bury it. They want to store it. And the concept is is that people around the world are working on a fusion reactor. And they think within the next 50 to 70 years, a fusion reactor, reactor will be possible. It will use uranium like the current ones we have now, but it will burn up like 99% of the product. Oh, okay. So then they can use the spent fuel and get rid of it the that way. The stuff that we're storing now can be reused in a fusion reactor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That'd be neat. So this is a long way out, but our children, mm-hmm. our grandchildren, your grandchildren will benefit that, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really, really the biggest threat to mankind today, from my point of view, is the environment. We got to lessen the greenhouse gas effect, mm-hmm. um, you know, and uh, and I think that's really urgently required within the world to do that. Yeah, to try and reduce that greenhouse gas effect and around then, the world. And for that to happen, everybody should get electric bikes and uh, You're right. ditch their cars. <laughs> yeah, well, for me, it's it's even something like I've had that talk with my wife because for me, it's twenty three kilometers to school to where I work. And now, finally, this September, next month, I start, I'm only working in one school. So, thank God, now I can ride my bike for the vast majority of the days. I could, you know, commute into work and home. I get a good workout. It's not prohibitively far, but there's definitely going to be days where 
I'm not feeling like it. And to have that e-assist bike would just be a game changer, right? It would. And, and that's something you should really consider. Because if you're promoting, you know, getting to work and back by means other than a gasoline-powered car, then you have your option of going to an electric car to help uh, clean up the environment, which probably you will eventually. Eventually, but yeah. you go to an electric-assisted bicycle. And if you get a half-decent one, and then you have to pedal it, but it makes it, it takes away that uh, like a windy day. You don't have to worry about heading into the wind. Yeah, that day you crank it up a notch. You're still pedaling, or the hills. You don't have to worry about the hills. More and more people. That's a good uh, for you. That's, that's a good goal to set. You know. Yeah, yeah. Well, my goal this year is now that I'm finally in one school. Says you know. I, I, would, I would like to ride every day and I presume I can do that for the most part until like November when it starts getting quite cold. Oh, um, yeah. And then the snow comes and that's when it gets, you know, unless I ride a fat bike, but then it would take me like two hours to get to work, you know, so it's a little bit too long then. So now I still have a regular bike and I don't know if you've heard the term, uh, uh, acoustic bike. No, no, but that I, I, I could understand what that means. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I belong to a couple of chat groups in the U.S. that, that are involved with uh, the, the batteries for bicycles. And I started hearing, hearing people referring to the regular bike as an acoustic bike versus an electric bike. Yeah. And so I reached out to one of the guys and said, where did that term ever come from, an acoustic bike? Why would you just call it a regular bike? And he said, well, how old are you? And I told him, he said, oh, you're, you're old enough. You'd remember Bob Dylan. And I said, yeah, sure, I remember Bob Dylan. And they said, well, do you remember when Bob Dylan first went from an acoustic guitar to an electric guitar? Everybody booed him. He got booed right off the stage. I don't know if you remember the story or not. I don't, but. <laughs> a huge kind of anti-war type guy. He was always pushing the environment. And he played an acoustic guitar. Yeah, and he showed up on a stage in England the very very first time he did with an electric guitar. He was booed right off the stage. No way. So, so the guys in the electric bike industry started saying, you know, the first guy that showed up on an electric bike at his bike club got booed. Like, you're not riding with us. You're cheating. Yeah. You know? and, and so they started adopting that term, acoustic bike. I like and that. you hear biking circles that are into electric bikes, like acoustic bike or a regular bike, or acoustic bike or an e-bike. But going back to what I was going to say was, I still have an acoustic bike, like my old touring bike. Okay. And it's a beautiful bike, and I have, you know, I have uh, top quality rims, and everything about the bike is lovely, and I love it. It's got an old yeah. saddle had for years on it. But there's a company in Ottawa called Pedal Easy. And I don't know if you've heard of them, but they've been around for quite a few years. I they're, don't know they're out by Bell's Corners. Okay. And apparently they make one of the better front hub motors that you can put in your front wheel. Ah. And it's a small motor. You'd hardly even notice it was there. And you get a little battery that's about the size of a, a mini iPad. And that fits on your bike. And so all they do is change the front wheel. And that gives you assist when you need it to go up hills. Interesting. I'm going to check them out. Yeah. And they are. And we actually, when we did that Voyager tour about four or five years ago, Mary and I did, um, 
one person on that had one of those bikes. And where did you get that? And she said, oh, this is Canadian made. And she was really uh, tooting the horn that it was Canadian made, made in Ottawa. And I didn't pay much more attention to it. And then I got checking it out again. And I've talked to the guy two or three times. And I'm thinking the next time I come to Ottawa to visit our grandson, I might take my acoustic bike down and get him to put that motor in the front wheel. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's really cool. I have a, an e-bike that, uh, uh, another e-bike that was made by, you, have you ever heard of the Magna Corporation? Magna? They're, Magna is a huge auto parts corporation okay. in Ontario. Yeah, okay, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I have. Yeah. So the, the guy that runs that has always been interested in micro-transport, trans, micro-mobility, and he started a bicycle club. He bought a, a battery company out of Quebec that made batteries for electric bicycles going back almost 20 years ago, it tinkered with it. And it got better and better, and pretty soon it became world synonymous with this system that this guy's building in Canada is the best system for electric bikes. And he was making basically the motor and the battery and the controller. Wasn't okay. making the bike. So, and Trek bought them, and uh, different people in Europe bought them from them. And uh, I was following it and reading about it. This is going back like quite a few years ago. And I decided I'm going to buy one. And uh, the motor he had is a regenerative motor. So when you're going down a long hill, you can regenerate electricity yeah. into your battery. And it actually works. And my bike still works. And I still have it. Unfortunately, the business, due to his aging and yeah. got changed, it went out of business. But... Uh, those bikes are still talked about, and I have one of those that, that generates some electricity. Ah. It just looks like a bike. It actually is a normal bike. It just has the motor, but the motor's in the rear. But this company in Ottawa that has this one that's in the front, I'm definitely going to investigate it, and I'm sure it's called Pedal Easy. Yeah, I just searched them. Yeah, I found them. I, I Googled them while yeah. you were talking. The Bell's Corners, and I talked to the guy, and uh, they don't get enough promotion in Canada. You know, like you, you don't have to rush out and buy a four, three or four thousand dollar bike if you don't want to. You can take your own bike to him yeah. if you have a bike love and get that front wheel converted. That's very and now cool. you bike that will challenge the hills if you have bad hills. Yeah. That's something you should look at. I'll uh, I'll pop in there next time in the I'm in the area. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I want to ask Mary, uh, what are you guys planning this year? Any uh, any more travels? I saw you guys were. Were you in? Was it Florida earlier this year? Yes, Florida. Yeah. Were, were we with where? You were you were in Florida earlier this year. Any other plans coming up? Oh, oh yes, we were in Florida. We love going there. The area that we go to is called Tarpon Springs, and the. Uh, there's a great trail there that goes right through Tarpon Springs and it goes down south towards Dunedin. Okay. And it's a very well used trail. It's called the Pinellas Trail. And um, we enjoy that area because of that. Um, we're probably going to go back down this year again. Oh, yeah. But we don't have anything in particular, no big plans uh, at this point. Um, but uh, you never know. You know, I have this uh, person that I live with 
that um, all of a sudden will say one day, oh, tomorrow, could you be ready to go to uh, Ottawa? Or could you be ready to go to Kingston? <laughs> or Pete? <laughs> or, you know, wherever. Seems so like a pretty we, awesome person. Jim, Jim really enjoys um, just going. And the difference between Jim and I is that he enjoys doing that. He enjoys planning it. He enjoys the um, the aspect of, of not really being sure what you're going to run into on the way mm-hmm. or where you go. He loves the adventure side of that sort of thing. Whereas I like to know when I'm going, where I'm going, how long I'll be gone, you know. So we, we are... Uh, sort of a good couple that way because we balance each other off. Yeah, but, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think my wife's a little bit more, I'm a little bit more towards Jim and my wife's definitely more towards you in that sense. Like she, she wants a plan and I'm like, oh, we'll just kind of figure it out as it goes, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you know, sometimes if you just plan as you go, they turn out to be memorable <laughs> trips. Yeah. Like yesterday, um, Jim said to me, uh, well, do you want to go for a bike ride today? I said, okay, sure. Where, where will we go? Well, I haven't quite figured out yet where we're going to go. So I didn't know till we got in the car exactly where we were going, but it turned out to be a great day. Oh, that's awesome. Well, if you guys do come up to Ottawa, let me know. Um, love to, to meet up again for sure. Get out for a ride. Yeah. Uh, did you say you were going to Japan on Monday? I'm going uh, next Friday, or this coming Friday. What, today's Saturday, yeah, so in six days. Well, that's kind of exciting. Yeah, I have a, I have a son in Japan who's turning 11, so I haven't seen him in quite some time due to COVID and other reasons. And uh, yeah. so, yeah, this will be a nice little reunion for a couple of weeks, uh, do some traveling together, go to some, you know, pretty much have all the been- spots, Legoland and Pokemon Museum and... <laughs> all all the all the touristy fun things, you know. You've been there before, have you? Yeah, I've been there quite a few times over the years. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna be in Tokyo, then Nagoya, and then Osaka. And I'm bringing my folding bike because uh, I have to have a bike on this trip. Uh, he what? he will be at school for half the time, so I'll be uh, um, the second week there. He starts school, and so I'll definitely have a chance to to bomb around on my bike through Japan. Well, through Osaka. What, is your, what model of folding bike do you have? I have a Bike Friday folding bike. Okay. Oh, yeah. Do you have it in a little hard case? I don't have the hard case for it. I wish I did, but I mean, it does work with a normal suitcase. Um, so I'll pack it up in the suitcase and I'll just leave the suitcase at the uh, the hotel or hostel or wherever I'm staying. We have friends that travel uh, with their Bike Fridays quite a bit. Oh, if, if they decide to get rid of their case, let me know and I'll buy one off them. Yeah, it has the uh, the wheels converts to a little trailer. Yeah, that would be so perfect in this situation because then I could just like haul it around with me, and not worry about it. But yeah, they're uh, they're really good for putting on a plane or going here or going there. Yeah, I I considered it um, when I picked this up used. Um, I did have an option once. I found somebody selling one, and it just didn't work out. You know, it was so far away that flying it to my house, the case alone was going to be kind of dumb price. So it's got to be somebody so local. Buy, did you buy yours locally? Uh, I, well, I bought it when I lived in Malaysia. I, I took a, I took the train to Singapore and picked it up there off somebody. Oh. 
Okay, so you lived uh, in the East there for a while. I spent about uh, seven years in Malaysia, two years in South Korea, one year in Cambodia, uh, a little bit in Russia, Sweden. Yeah, a little bit everywhere. Was, wow. Was this uh, through, were you teaching while you were there? At first I was partying and then I started teaching. So I needed money to keep partying. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm pre- predominantly teaching. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we didn't do some too much of it when we were younger, but we have a friend, uh, Sherry, who met her boyfriend and she said, I'm meeting him in the Golden Triangle. Ah, okay, yeah, that's northern Thailand and the uh, corner of Laos and China. North of Bangkok. Yeah. North of Bangkok, yeah. And we, we were in China and Japan and uh, Thailand there uh, a few years ago. Uh, did get a, an opportunity to ride a bike in China. And uh, when we were there, I'm going to say it was in the, the early 2000s. So the electric bike craze really wasn't quite there, but we were amazed mm-hmm. to see the amount of stuff we we did in China. Ah, and one interesting we were in one town that was very very hilly. When I say a town, a town there would have five hundred thousand people. Yeah, yeah, it's and a small town. Yeah, we didn't see hardly any bikes. And I asked the, our tour guide about it. He said, "Well, they're they're not allowed here. They're banned." And I said, "Why is that?" And he said, "Well, because they can't get up the hills and they tie up the traffic too much." But other places where the bike made sense, that was the rule of law. <laughs> Almost took your life in your hands to go across the street. Yep. Oh, the Vietnam was like that, right? You have to just kind of close your eyes and walk and let them go all around you. Yeah, that's yeah, right. that's true. But but it wasn't. It was all the small motorbikes that they had. Yep. Our our direction uh, was. We were told when you see an area that looks as though it's clear, step out, go across the street, but whatever you do, don't stop in the middle of the street uh-huh. because they, they gauge where you're going to be when they get there. So their, their speed oh, and right. direct is all based on where you're going and how fast you're going across the street. It was a little scary at first, yeah. but once you, but it was okay. It's, inter- it's, it's interesting to forget that, you know, um, I mean, I've done it so much that it seems normal, but to like anybody who's not traveled to Eastern Asia or experienced that, it, it would seem so crazy, right? Um, yeah. It does, yeah, yeah, yeah. It does. You know, it's almost that way in Amsterdam. Have you been to Amsterdam? I have, but it was, uh, yeah, 2007, so quite a long time ago, I'm, well, in my life. Yeah, but it's, <laughs> it's really busy with the cycle, yeah. you know? And you got to know where's the sidewalk, where's the bike road, and where's the road. And uh, there's so many cycles there. Like, even though we're good cyclists, it's a little undaunting for us to bike through there, not, you know, not knowing what street we had to turn on or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. There was so many bicycles. Yeah. There was one place crossing the bridge in, Am- in Rotterdam, and we stopped to look, and there's a little pull up where you stop and look over the bridge at okay. the port in Rotterdam. Then to get back onto our lane and the bicycles, it was like a highway. We had to wait for like five minutes to get a break in the traffic. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I look and forward bi- to hopefully going to Europe next summer with my family and doing some bike touring. Chris, it was been wonderful talking with you. It's been awesome. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I just look one, forward. Ah, go ahead. 
just one thing I'd like to add. Yeah. To, to uh, end this conversation or towards the end. As you can imagine from our conversation, a lot of our involvement with OPG, with the municipality, and working on trails and promoting them has all come from the fact that we are volunteers with the Waterfront Trail. And mm. we got to know the administration and the Waterfront Trail, and um, a lot of our contacts have come because of that. So it's, it's um, going back to the original um, idea of this interview, our involvement in cycling has ballooned into all kinds of other contacts that we have yeah. just as we cycle. Yeah, and I think it's also, like you said, is, um, you know, getting involved in these local, like a local organization could change all your perspectives and actually, you know, make everything that much more grander, right? Rather than just also be a cyclist, if you get involved, then you can maybe affect some change as well. Right. Where we live in Durham region, there are, uh, I think, seven municipalities like uh, Pickering, Ajax, Whitby, Oshawa, Clarington, Scugog. That, that, those are individual municipalities, but they all fit into Durham region. Mm-hmm. So government. And I'm going to say about 15 years ago, we had a cyclist killed, and he was the president of a bicycle club from Whitby. Okay. And it was a tragic accident. There was nobody at fault, really. Uh, actually, the cyclists were at fault. They were out cycling on uh, Easter Sunday morning, about six or seven of them. It was cold. They all had their helmets on, but they all had, uh, like, uh, ear covering, so it was so cold. And they were going down a road, and they wanted to make a left-hand turn, and usually the back guy would holler out whether it was clear or whether there was a car back. Right. He hollered car back out, knowing that they were getting close to where they would make the, the lead rider would make the left-hand turn. Nobody heard him. Oh, no. So the lead rider made a left-hand turn just as the lady was over overtaking the group. Oh. Uh, struck and killed him, and, and he died. So, so it was tragic and sad for our cycling community here in Durham Region. So at that point, several of us from the different clubs decided we need to form a group that will encompass all of Durham Region, and we did. And it's called the Durham Region Cycling Coalition. And uh, we've spoken at a lot of different places now. We advocate for safe cycling within the region because, like, you probably know yourself, you might have your municipality where you live. In, mm-hmm. Where is it? Chester? Chelsea. Chelsea, yeah. So you have that. But does Chelsea fit into a bigger region? Um, yeah, the Udoe region, I guess. Yeah. Or Ottawa Valley even because it's all, we're all kind of the national capital region, I guess. Yeah. So yeah. sometimes some roads belong to these people and some roads belong to those people. And we found that here where we live. We have municipal roads and you might cross a regional road and the mm-hmm. say, well, we have nothing to do with that road. You know, like, like if there's a big pothole where you bicycle, it, it's nice to know, does that a municipal pothole, a regional pothole, or does it belong to the province? And once you know that and have those numbers, you just 
speed dial them, take a picture of it, send the geotag to them, say, hey, can you get those pothole effects? It's a safety hazard for cyclists. And it gets done within a week. Right. But, but if, if, you, if you don't have those contacts, it takes months. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't know who owns the pothole, you might call your local municipality and they'll say, well, that's not our road, not belongs to the region. Mm-hmm. You know? And so it's, it, it's, it's been causing so that Durham Region Cycling Coalition came together to handle all those kind of periphery things. And from from that, we've uh, convinced all the municipalities to get an act of transportation and safe roads committee of council. Kind of like what you were saying. So yeah. we, each of uh, each of those little municipalities now have a, count, uh, a committee of council that can advocate to the council and to the staff what direction we think they need to go and uh, making it safer to get around your municipality by bicycle. Oh, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. So big goals, things we need to start here, huh? We guys are <laughs> putting the pressure. There's so much that can be done, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, guys, we're, we're, I will think. Uh, uh, sorry, go ahead. One- what we were thinking to do was called the G to G. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's Guelph to Goddard. Okay. Now, I hadn't heard of it, but that sounds like a nice ride. Yeah, it is. And it's getting promoted for a bit. And it takes you from uh, the Kitchener area all the way to Goddard on Lake Huron. Mm-hmm. That's be- in our to-do list. That'd be a beautiful ride, and uh, I presume on paved roads or well, there's a lot of backcountry like Mennonite farm roads. Yeah. Right? It, it, it takes in some rail trails and some backcountry roads. Nice. That portion of Ontario is pretty divisive, but it's not hilly. Yeah, and when is uh, is it an event, or is it just something you're going to do? Well, it's, uh, it's a trail that we've been working on down there for 15 years, and uh, we happen to have met somebody from that area on another bike trip in the U.S. many years ago, and we stayed friends with them, and I... He just sent me a link the other day. Said you should come down and bike this, Jim. I'll uh, I'll look it up. I, I don't think I'll make it, but I'll look it up. G to G, G to G. I'll open my computer right now. Yeah, Guelph to Goddard. All right. Well, I will uh, check that out. G to G Rail Trail. There it is. Goddard to Guelph. Yep. Hundred thirty. Hundred thirty-two kilometers getting there we're, we're starting to get more you know when you look around there's a lot of there's a lot yeah there is there is there's there's more than i have time to ride <laughs> even if i was uh, retired but uh have you heard of the have you heard of the green belt yep the green belt is kind of like the Oak Ridge marine material mm-hmm. and it's where the government tried to, to establish a green belt around the greater trial area so there's a bike route there that's called the Greenbelt Bike Route, and it goes from the edge of the Oak Ridge Moraine. It dies out around Trent, around the Trent River area. Okay, yeah, I, I grew up in Trenton, so I know the area. Okay, so it starts actually north of there towards Hastings, the trail, and it, the tra- trail follows the spine of the Oak Ridge Moraine all the way through Richmond Hill, Aurora, that area, north of Oshawa. It's always in the hilly area, all the way through to Halton Hills, and then it bends to the left and goes down to Niagara on the lake. That's where it ends. 
Uh-huh. So that's where the Oak Ridge Marine ends. It's part of that Niagara Escarpment system, and it goes for about 600 kilometers. So it kind of is parallel to the Great Lakes Waterfront Trail that runs along the shore of Lake Ontario. Yeah, I see that. Um, actually, I pulled it up as you spoke, and it's it's really cool. They have a map, and it actually just shows how much green is around Toronto, where the trail is. Yeah, yes. So we've been working on making connector roads. Oh. So, so ride the waterfront trail, and then you can come to the small town of, say, Newcastle, and there'd be a big sign saying, hey, do you want to go just, just go seven or eight kilometers north here, and it's all signed, and you'll hit the Greenbelt Road. And now yeah. you got this big hill. And then a little ways further, you can get a connector road that'll take you back to the waterfront trail. Mm-hmm. And so we've been working on that. And we've got our two and our municipality all fully signed now. Oh, nice. So that's a great thing for promoting cycling in Ontario. You know, if you come to Ontario and you want to take the waterfront trail, somebody might say, well, it's boring. It's pretty flat. Like, and you go through a lot of towns. So now we're saying, here's an option. Right. You can just... You can just shoot up here. It's only less than 10 kilometers up from the lake to get you into the Oak Ridge Marine. And now you're on the Greenbelt Trail, and it's all signed. It's all on road, but it's all signed. And it's all kind of like bike-friendly road. Yeah. It would be, uh, It's I just checked here, it's 1,000 kilometers long. And uh, and then you could loop it with the uh, with the waterfront trail and uh, go back yeah. to your start point. <laughs> yeah. That makes some good options for people that want to visit your community and cycle. Mm-hmm. That's really, really cool. Looks nice. How, being how it's nice and hilly, that's good for people that uh, have an electric bike. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or uh, or strong legs for uh, for an acoustic bike. Strong acoustic bike, you got it. All right. Well, guys, I'm not going to keep you too long, and uh, I can hear my daughter upstairs. Uh, she's get, starting to get active, so. Uh, Thanks so much for your time. I know it's uh, it's been a, a long chat, um, but I really enjoyed it. I always uh, enjoy talking to cyclists and especially somebody with your guys, uh, your your experience and, you know, wisdom. And uh, it's, it's been fun. It's been wonderful talking with you, Chris. And pleasure I keep... to meet you. Pardon me? It was a pleasure to meet you uh, when we met. Yeah, it's, uh, it's great how the world works, right? Yeah. It is. It is. And I keep seeing your posts, and I always uh, keep an eye out for what you guys are up to, so it's it's super fun. Okay, yeah, you'll see most of our Facebook posts are related to things in one form or another. I've noticed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. th- thanks so much for your time, and I'm sure we'll keep in touch, and uh, when, I, when I'm ready to release this, I'll let you know and uh, so you can share yeah. it to your friends. Have a wonderful weekend and have a great trip to uh, visit your son over in Japan. And Thank you so much. Down your area, we'll give you a show note. Perfect. All right. Look forward to it. Talk soon. Okay. Bye bye, Chris. Bye, Chris. Bye, Mary. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have questions or comments, you can email me at bike at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. 
Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you are enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, help me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling. <laughs>